Today's show is sponsored by Fender Guitars. There's nothing really to say. I mean, just look at it. It's beautiful. If you say Fender over and over again, it becomes a meaningless sound. Fender, 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 Fender. Why, yes, it is a Fender. Today I'm talking to Tegan Quinn. Tegan is half of the writing, performing, recording duo known as Tegan and Sarah. I bet Tegan and Sarah don't get asked that much how they got their band name. That must be nice. Unlike us. I guess if you're really not into telling stories about how you got your band name, you don't call yourselves Jimmy Eat World. Ah, anyway. I think Tegan and Sarah have done a great job over the years of staying true to themselves, but doing that critical critical step of challenging their self-perception. My conversation with Tegan Quinn happened on June 10th of 2020. How's it going? Really good. There's construction happening outside of my office, so I had to set up in my kitchen slash front entryway. So that's cool. Um, at least you have, you have some, you some plants there. I do. I have a plant. This is my plant friend and um, and my books. I, I, I always joke that I'm like, until we actually wrote a book, I felt like I was a wannabe writer. Now we are writers, but I'm like the least musician musician you'll ever come across. <laughs> like, you come to my house, you would never know I'm a musician. Like, the guitars are in storage. The few I have here are hidden. I, like, put everything away. I don't know. Right. I'm like, never. I'm like the weirdest musician. I just don't. I don't know. But seeing all your stuff, I was inspired to say that because just seeing all your stuff, I'm like, oh, it's like you're in the studio. Well, this is kind of, I mean, this isn't my house. This is our our band jam space. Um, my house is pretty, I, mean, I have a piano in my house, but besides that, you probably ah. never know. You probably never know that like a musician lived there because <laughs> same deal. It's yeah. like for a minute there, I was thinking like I should, like I need a spot to work at home. And then I started adding yeah. up all the money. <laughs> all the money it would take to kind of equal half of what I have going on here. And it was just like, well, I, I'll just drive to the band studio and work there yeah. <laughs> and save all that money. It's funny because Sarah and I have been talking a lot about that. We've we've lived in different cities since 2003. And then a few years ago, she moved to L.A. where I had been living for 10 years. And uh, and then we both just moved up here to Vancouver. Um, I'm so jealous. Last March. Yeah, it's so awesome. But also it's the first time we've, like I said, we've really truly shared a, a city that we're both home in at the same time. And it's, you know, it's where our bands, you know, where our storage unit is with all of our gear, where we store it between, you know, and it's the, it's weird. Like it's, it's like, I, cause I keep having these moments where I'm like, should we have a, like a studio? Because we both record constantly yeah. and like- are constantly writing and it's just never been an option because we've never lived in the city where our band existed in a way. I don't know. Right. That's, but, but, um, yeah, for me, Vancouver is so wonderful, but it's such an expensive city. So having an apartment, I just yeah. have an apartment here and like the idea of using, 
up very much of the space for a studio makes no sense, but I don't know. You'll, you'll get like, you'll get this out of me over the course of this conversation. But I also just like, I, it is, it's like a weird rejection of what I am. I think too, not having that stuff in the house with me, maybe my life feels so about me and about the band and about touring. Like, I don't know if you feel this way, but I just need it not to be at home with me. Cause when I'm at home, I kind of want to forget that I'm yeah. <laughs> Tegan from Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> it's funny because I remember in my, I must've been, this must have been between our records, so Jealous and the Con, so I'm going to say that's like maybe 2006-ish in my life, um, getting our first, up here in Canada, our first gold record. And the record company doing this big presentation and sending it to us. And, you know, by this point, Sarah and I had been making music for eight, eight or nine years professionally, you know. And so it was a really big deal. Like, it was a really big deal. It was like, oh, shit, we finally did it. We, like, you know, accomplished this thing. And it felt really thrilling. And, you know, I put the... In Canada, you know, they're they're like they're like this big, the gold records, because yeah. it's like you know, it's like I don't know, like fifty thousand sales or something yeah. like that. It's not like a huge thing. Um, and I put it up. I had a this loft apartment. It was really small, but it had this little kind of like alcove where I set, had a desk set up and where a couple guitars were sitting. And there was a Murphy bed along the back wall, so there was no, there was just a tiny little itty bitty wall space. So I just like you know put it up there. I was like, this is so great. And I think I had like you know a couple framed like you know nice like uh screen prints of like tours we'd done with bands i like or something like that and you know a couple years later another one of like you know our records maybe it was the con went gold and i've you know remember kind of standing there with the record and being like uh oh, there's no room <laughs> i think i'll just put it in storage and i just it, it's it became i think around then that my life became our music world had gotten so much bigger and more overwhelming, but my personal world became more like protected where it was like, yeah, when I'm at home, I don't want to necessarily be facing my job all the time. You know, when I'm sitting here making right. music, I don't want to necessarily be singing to my past achievements as a reminder, like that I potentially will never accomplish that again. Like I started like, to realize like, uh, I, was so I had to compartmentalize. Once. Yeah, totally. Remember when we were indie rock? Um, no, I just think like in a way it was like I had to compartmentalize. So I don't know, like maybe like seeing you say or seeing you in your studio and hearing you say you have that, like you have this space outside your home. I'd really resonate with that because I think in a way it's healthy to compartmentalize. Like you don't need to live in your job all the time. You can't you can't always be you from your band. Like I can't always be me from my band. I have to sometimes just be me who's a girlfriend and me who's a friend and me who's learning how to grow strawberries on my balcony, you know? And I just, I don't necessarily always want to be looking at my achievements and my failures. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to, it's, it's part of like protecting the place that music comes from, mm, you know, yeah. and, and having like a rounded, um, cause like it, if you're to spend all your time with headphones on, like, you know, tweaking, then, yeah. then what, then what experience do you, are you getting that you have to draw from a friend whose kid is about the same age as like my kid, my oldest kid came, was like knew, knew about my band and like, you know, that talking about their kid who has like, you know, really talented singer wants to go to college for theater and voice. Mm -hmm. And like, do I have any tips for them? And I was, <laughs> I was like, well, you know, there's a lot of people who just shred, you know, like in, in whatever they do and whatever, yeah. whatever discipline they're at, especially a creative one like music. And they're going to have like super shredder, super skills, super. Um, they're just going to kick ass no matter what they put. They can sight read stuff and blow you away. 
But I, I said, uh, my advice was like, take as many electives as you can, st- you know, study abroad because like what, yeah. what is really going to inform your performance is going to be perspective. Yeah. And that's, I think that's a very, it, well, you're totally right because I mean, look at who's famous and look at who's successful and look at who's had a 40 year career. They're not always the best singers or the best guitar players or, but there's something unique and original and there's just something soulful and deep in those kinds of artists that are writing these really memorable, really universal, really relatable things. And that comes from life experience that comes from understanding and uh, like the deeper human experience. And you definitely don't learn that sitting in a classroom. I don't think, but that's coming from somebody who never went to school and is just self-taught in everything we do. So it helps knowledge. That, knowledge helps to, to a to a point. I think knowledge and technical chops are like you need some of that for sure. And as, as you do totally. it, you're going to build it if, as you do it for sure. You Naturally, can't es- you sure. can't escape it. If you're having fun with yeah. something and you keep you want you want to keep doing it, you're going to incrementally progress somewhat. You might never be Ingrid totally. Malmstein, but you're going to get better. <laughs> I mean, uh, one of my proudest things, Jim, is that. I am uh, 39 years old. I've been making music since I was 15 years old. I took seven years of classical piano before I started playing guitar when I was 15. I We've put out 10 records. We've obviously had a long career. If someone took it away tomorrow, I'd be like, great, thank you so much. I can't even believe it lasted this long. I'd be really proud. One of my proudest, proudest, proudest things though is that I have no idea how to figure out what key a song is in. Oh my God. I, that was, I've that, watched YouTube videos. I've like had people explain it. Our wonderful, like last time we were making our, re- our last record, we were making it with this wonderful producer, Alex Hope. And she was like, come on, Tegan, this is not hard. You And I just, I have a block. I have a block. I don't know. But I've managed to get this far. <laughs> you know, I studied classical, classical guitar in college. I went to college for about a year wow. and a half. And I studied classical guitar there. I studied like <laughs> jazz but yeah. I was really, I was really into That's like, cool. I was right at the point where everything was starting to click and make sense. Like you can do for like a G major seven, you can substitute in a ninth and it makes sense. And like, but I never learned how to figure out what key a song is in either. So like we'll be working with, oh. we'll be working with a producer and they'll be like, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, uh, what key is this in? <laughs> No idea. Yeah. For a minute there. So wait, do you still not know? No. For a minute there, I thought I'd make it my quarantine project just to le- teach myself how to identify, identify a did. key. Oh my God, I did the same thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to study. I don't have a driver's license either. So I was like, I'm going to study for a driver's license and I'm going to figure out how to fucking tell what key is. <laughs> totally I haven't done either. The same thing. <laughs> Here's my thing though. For me, it's an act of protest. And I do believe that I've hit a, a new stage of my life where I do not need to be in this. I don't need to, I no longer need to be uh, doing this act of protest anymore. But I think for me, there were so many years where I was, we were questioned, like, how did you get a record deal? Why are you having success? Often by men, but like, you know, just sometimes like there's just, there was just this weird thing where I think because we were gay and we were twins, there was this automatic assumption that it was sort of gimmicky and, and that we weren't we weren't real, like that there was nothing real about us, mm. that there weren't, wasn't substance. And because we spent so much of the first, you know, part of our career, the first, you know, 11 years really in, in indie rock, which was just obviously, as you know, is just so male dominated that there was this skepticism, like when we would do interviews and talk to writers and, you know, talk to journalists and critics, like that even when we were good, even when they would give, give us that, like when they would say like, all right, this is, you know, this next, this new record is really great or whatever. There was just all these props given to like the, 
producers or the other musicians like that was who had made us good and so in a way I think it carried over into some of these other actions that I took or inactions that I took so like I refuse refuse to memorize all the gear that I own or the like pedals I'm like I don't know the yellow one I you know the one I like and they're like oh it's you know whatever and I'm like I don't want to know I don't care I refuse to be that guy and I don't want to know what key it is you figured out that's why I hired you you know there was sort of like this act of protest of like I got this far and I didn't need to know all the things you knew. I figured it out in a different way. I stumbled into like this, but also like, as you just said, I came by it honestly and organically. I learned as I went and um, yeah, I don't know, but I do want to know how to tell the key of a song because I really <laughs> want, like I'm really, like I've been using Logic like since 2008 and I really love it and I'm obsessed and I'm constantly watching videos to learn how to do things better yeah. and make myself more efficient and just make the quality of my demos better and whatever. And I really want to use Auto-Tune, but I can't figure out how to tell the key of a song, so I just can't like use Auto-Tune and I just, that's my motivation. You got you to gotta draw all this in by hand, really. I mean, the key, knowing the key for that will help. But, but it's still yeah. I mean, yeah. I, when I I don't really I use Melodyne now for any pitch correction stuff. But I used to use Autotune yeah. a lot, and I would never just for like a dirty quick something. I would just leave it in chromatic and leave like the retune really slow. Yeah, and then I mean, some oh it, that's interesting. It wouldn't pick out. It would. I mean, it would just it would just kind of hug around where right. where a note is. Sometimes yeah. it'd be the wrong note. I would never like use that as a final thing, but. Um, yeah, for me, I can just go in and I fix everything manually. Yeah. But I kind of like that. You have to. Because I think to. it sounds more natural. Yeah. You have to with, with auto-tune. With, um, I mean, unless what you're doing is like purely for the effect of cranking it down. Like, you know, like. No. But <laughs> no. just like that, too. You know. Yeah. <laughs> if you want it as an effect, great. Crank it down. Who cares? Know the no, key. No, 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 no. Not for, not for me. No, I think I think it's just sometimes because I'm lazy. And I want to sing something twice. And obviously... You know, when you're writing a song and you are excited and I'm like, oh, I want to lay this down right now. And, you know, I haven't found it yet, right? I haven't, like, worn in the, like, path of what I'm singing. You know, I'm not a naturally gifted singer. I have to work at it and get comfortable in it. And so sometimes I just want to, like, lay down a rough demo of a vocal. And then as soon as I hear it, I'm like, oh, God, that sounds so bad. I got to, okay, I guess I'll do, like, seven more of it and layer it so it sounds better. And someone was like, why don't you just tune the vocal? And I'm like, oh, God. Because that's cheating. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cheating. You know what's funny is like they're so like auto tune is so prevalent that I, now you have like a generation of kids who've grown up thinking that's how people sing. I know. You know, I know. and they'll. You know what though? But but that's what's but but what's hard is is what I really really love. I mean, Sarah and I like you know behind the scenes. I never put it out. Really, we make so much like electronic and dance music and all sorts of weird stuff. Like we're very experimental outside of like our own genre, like our own band genre. But like. It's, I, I want the vocals to sound more in tune because with so much electronic instruments, like so many, so much perfection in the track, it does, you know, the vocals sounds like shit. Like when I'm just recording an acoustic demo of something, I'm fine. But, but I totally agree with you. I think about this all the time. Even I've become so used to hearing perfect vocals and perfect everything. Like I listen to like 90s music and I'm like, everything's so out of tune. Everything's out of like, so the tempo's all off. Like I was listening to In Utero the other day in headphones and I was like, this is a mess. This is a mess. You know, I have I have like all my CDs in in the other room over here because yeah. I, I got them out of my house because I don't have a CD player anymore. But I, I was like, sure. I can't. I'm not, I'm not selling these. You know, this is my <laughs> this is my hard copy backup of my of of my digital world. And every once in a while, I'll go in there and I find something that I dug like in in like '95. Like, oh, this record rules. 
And then I'll rip it and I'll put it on my phone and be like, wow, it's really kind of, <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's some stuff that like still holds up and then, but there's a lot totally. of, there's a lot of it that's like, oh, I'd probably fix you know what, that. Like, hold, a lot of what holds up to me is like the like tears for fears and Duran Duran, like some of the stuff that was relying already heavily on electronic elements. Like to oh, me man. it sounds, at least it stands up because I think it, it sounds like today still in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Like Tears for Fears, Duran Duran, birth of birth of MTV era th- yeah. is kind of my formidable years. Um, yeah. So like anything that was on pop radio back then, most of that has has gravi- gravitated towards like uh, you know you'd hear it next to Lady in Red on whatever station it's on <laughs> now. But um, yeah. But at the, but at the time, it's it's sort of like yeah, that was kind of what I cut my teeth on growing up as a kid, and then went through like sure. the phase where that's so not cool. And now I'm kind of coming back to like, oh, wow, like, how'd they do that? Like, mm-hmm. could you even, like, if you listen to like Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam now, how <laughs> would you make that? Like, how they, like, could, you couldn't try, you couldn't, you couldn't do that now yeah. with all the computer software and the, you know, like, yeah. how they do that? It's like. You know, it's fun. It, it, it's funny that you say the how'd you do that because it immediately triggered this memory of like being in the studio uh, when we made our record Heartthrob with Greg Kirsten. Who's just like, you know, a savant and just, you know, moves so quickly. It's like he like snorted meth or something before you got into the studio. It's just like move so fast, can do anything, whatever. And we were talking about like he it was what it was like one of the first days that we were working with him and he was listening through a bunch of our demos. We were starting to construct one of the songs we were gonna work on and he kind of just like spun around. He had such a funny look on his face and he's like, You guys are so weird how you do things, like how you build things. Like it's clear you have not like you are not doing it in a conventional way. Like you are not following any of the rules <laughs> that most people who songwrite and whatever do these days. And it's really refreshing. And I, we got into this big conversation and it stuck with me for a long time about the fact that like, because I have no real classic understanding of how gear and these recording programs and songwriting and musical theory like works, that I'm often just free to do whatever I want. Like I don't feel boxed in. I don't, I don't know I'm breaking the rules. And so I'm not concerned about it. Like I don't feel on blast. And, and so I also feel like over the years when we've received criticism about switching our sound or moving around or genre hopping, there's this part of me that just laughs like it, because it implies that I have the ability to keep inside my genre, that I have the ability to repeat what I've done in the past. I don't, I don't I actually really physically don't know if I could even repeat what we've done. Half the time I listen to things we did and I'm like, uh, it was like 12 years ago. I can't even remember what I was thinking or how I, like, what instrument did we record that on? And I, I think it's a blessing because I listened to, I listen to a lot of the music you're talking about and I've, and I do think to myself, like, how would I do that? And then I spend like three seconds trying and then I'm like, no, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. So then I have to fake it. So the other day I like downloaded all these like, um, like samples and like made all these like weird, you know, beats and some sort of like weird free, you know, whatever thing. And I made something that I really liked and I wrote a song on, uh, wrote a song using all of these elements and then realized like, oh, I, it's like I time. I, this is all boring bullshit. But like, basically, I just like had time warped it instead of use like instead of slowing it down properly. Whatever. I just me just stumbling through a session, fucking everything up, making a mess that I'll just like hate later on. But um, I realized like, oh crap! I just like actually don't know how to fix this, and so I just had to start all over again. And I mean, my girlfriend got home that night, and I was like, not in tears, but practically, where I was like, I don't understand how I made this, and now I just want to like do a simple version of it. 
And I don't know how, like, I don't know how to transfer my ideas into like, you know, but it, but it's fine. Cause like the first version of it was totally fine too. It's fucked up, but it's like weird and it's fine. And I just, so it's both frustrating and freeing to like, not know the role, rules, not know how to use any of the shit. I just go in and fuck it up and just, it's fine. And I think that's okay too. Like, I don't really know much about, uh, programming. I've never, I've never done stuff with like the, um, you know, 16 beat scrolling thing and building beats that way. I've never, yeah. I don't really know anything about Ableton. Um, yeah. Any sort of, any sort of like what people might consider electronic music elements are basically me dragging and dropping stuff around or yeah. recording or recording <laughs> or, or recording acoustic instruments and destroying them with plugins. To, so they kind of approach what might be electronics, electronic sounding. I kind of I, I tell I know what you're saying about like you only want to um, understand so much about it to do what you want. You know what am yeah. I thinking? How can I make that yeah. real? You know if if there's knowledge I need to 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 get that idea out, then I'm going to learn that. Which I, I I always hope doesn't make me ignorant. You know because like would I could I be a better musician for sure. Could I be using my time during the pandemic to <laughs> learn how to, you know, not only figure out the key of a song, but like, you know, to understand more than C, G, and F on a guitar? Sure, totally. <laughs> it's not even that I don't want to. I suppose it's just that I'm so invested on the other side of it that that the, t- the time and energy I have to put into invest in learning how to use all the different things, like, just makes me, like, properly. I use them improperly, and I get fun shit out of it, but, like, the time and energy I'd have to spend to learn all that theory and to do it correctly, like that would take away from the time where I would just be being creative. And, you know, I wonder if that would sort so. of, I have, a, I, have a, I have like friends who are the kind of people that are like, Oh, that's so weird how you did that. You went from this chord to this chord. And I don't understand why you did this. You changed the key there yeah. for some reason, like just b- by, <laughs> by hearing something, they know all that information about it. Like oh, they, can, amazing, they can, they yeah. can sort of piece together. I think they'd be sort of a mixed blessing because you could appreciate things on a different level, but then, but then a lot of it is kind of ruined for you because like you're, you're instantly going through, I don't know. You're following the rules. This is like what I meant when I said like Greg Kirsten saying like you guys kind of, you make weird choices, choices that are unconventional, but it's because you're not following the rules because you don't know the rules and it doesn't box you in. And I think for me as Obviously, Sarah and I just, it's the two of us in the band. And so we've had the luxury of just hiring people. Like I, every record, there are things I need, you know, like there are records where, or tour cycles where I know we're going to go out and play a lot of our older music. So I want someone who's like a really incredible MD to help us match what we've done in the past to what we're doing now in a way that feels really um, organic and special. Or there have been record cycles where it's like, we need a really kick-ass guitar player because all the, you know, we lay down a lot of our own guitar when we're recording, but I have the luxury of getting to do multiple, you know, versions of things and and to build really intricate guitar parts by recording eight different simple guitar parts together. And like, I don't want to learn how to play that. I got to sing. I got to entertain. I got to move around. I got to look cool. I got so much to do up there. I can't fucking figure out eight guitar parts. And, And so I feel like in a weird way, that's also been my resistance. It's like, I'll hire the people I need to do the things that I want that, you know, to do. I have the idea. Like, you know, I just sometimes need to hire somebody to like facilitate, you know, and 
yeah, I don't want to learn how to do it because I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be trapped on stage worrying about how I'm doing it. I don't want anyone being like, oh, gosh, she played that guitar lead from this song wrong. It's like, yeah, well, I played it right on record. So do you think that do you really think that way when you're performing? Like, like if I you did, it, I, I, I've gone through long stretches where I felt really self-conscious on stage about what I was physically doing. Like, you know, especially when we started to move into pop, pop like because um, singing pop songs is hard. It's fast and it's wordy and there's hardly any instrumental breaks. And, you know, we were stretching our vocals the last five or six years in a really different way. And then you've got all these inorganic, you know, instruments playing. And so being pitchy just stands out in this way that's horrifying in, in a way that I'd never experienced prior to that. And I, there was a deconstruction of everything that I thought of myself as a performer and as a singer and as a person that happened. And I've just had this long stretch where I'm super self-conscious on stage because I realized that I needed to play less. I needed to play less instruments. I needed to focus more on singing. We were playing bigger and bigger shows and I felt like I needed to move around more and entertain more. And um, and, and once I got through that stretch of self-consciousness, it was really freeing because then I could kind of do whatever I wanted on stage and I returned to playing more. But I think as women, we definitely, if I don't play guitar, I'm criticized. If I play guitar, I'm criticized, you know, like, and it's weird, like, again, like I, it's a, there, there have been forms of protest over the years that we've, you know, tried out to, to battle that. But now I'm at an age where I actually really don't give a shit and, and we just do whatever we want. But there was a lot of time, especially through our, you know, late 20s, early 30s, where there was a lot of t- attention on us. And I felt like we had to prove ourselves all over again. And I don't know if dudes feel that way, too. I don't know if that's just a, you know, a woman thing, like, you know, especially in the industry, the part of the industry we were in, where mm. it was like. Like there was, there, I just I could go on for hours and hours and hours about this topic, but just ultimately I felt like we were challenged. We were constantly there was a like, are they real? Are they capable of doing it? That was the sentiment in the press and the comments online. So we would go on stage and I would play keyboard and guitar and sing and you know do everything for every song. And yeah, there was just a day where I was like, oh my god, like I just want to have fun up here. <laughs> yeah. For me, like singing is probably the main thing that I would yeah. be self-conscious about. Like what part of singing do you feel self-conscious about? Like being able to, to just like sustainably repeat the, the the really physical stuff. Like mm-hmm. um, if I'm if I'm if there's like a lot of like high passages, you know, or mm-hmm. or or like certain songs, they need a lot of air, you know, so, and also like mm-hmm. really low stuff, too. It's surprisingly like more hard than really high stuff for me because it's it's like that's where all the air is. I can't just like sure. I can't just like focus the 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 path of air through my head and and kind of like <laughs> I think what people don't realize is that it's it's like a whole it's like your your knees to the top of your head is like what you use singing. Like um Yeah. And I especially noticed this once I started wearing earplugs like as a as a younger person in my 20s when I started wearing earplugs on stage because there's that head noise of doing this. It's like, ah, you know, you can kind of feel where the note's going. I can sort of use that as a guide where I put the air, but the low stuff is kind of like, it's, it's, I don't really it's have harder. the rumble. I have to sort of like fish around for it. That's where like good monitors you, really come into play. Yeah, so that, well, that allows me my next question. Do you, do you still use monitors or do you use in-ears? Uh, in-ears. Yeah. yeah, I think that having the head noise is like really, it's kind of part of how I sing now, really. It's like mm-hmm. I could, like there might be times where the monitors go out 
and it's no big deal or something wacky happens a lot of inter like if there's a festival and there's a lot of interference on stage yeah. i'll just unplug i'll just turn off my my monitors <laughs> and 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 be able and, wow. and sing with just this in because i can at least hear what i'm doing yeah yeah singing wise <laughs> yeah, I've closed it's, a lot of shows. I've actually closed a lot of shows, like not hearing, <laughs> not hearing anything what's going on for like the last four songs. You know, I have a, I have basically a front of house mix with with click track louder than anything else on top of it, and then I put my pack on like three, and I don't have audience mics anymore, and I find it fucking bleak. <laughs> I find it depressing. You know, I really miss hearing the audience. I miss hearing something other than my head voice and click. I hate what it looks like to be constantly touching in ears. I want to watch bands who are constantly touching their in ears and pulling them in and out. It drives me crazy. And so I don't do it. The last two tours that we did were only a month long and they were really short, but are really like, you know, really um, simple. Like they were acoustic tours. Basically on the last one, it was just Sarah and I on stage for the first time in 18 years. We did a tour, just the two of us. And it was so fucking great. It was so great to just, hear us it was so great i like i had in ears in but like i could have just listened to them like i could have just listened to the audience it was like and we sang so well every night people came backstage and were like you were singing so well and i'm like god we must have just been trashed the last like 10 years but <laughs> it's like but yeah anyway mostly a ramble but it's like it's just interesting to talk to other musicians like especially those that that like us toured yeah. for dec a decade with monitors before Did you, you went to in ears like did you wear earplugs on stage before you had in-ears? No. Or? See, that's the thing. is no. like I wore earplugs on stage with monitors. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw a drive like Jehu play as a, in my 20s, and I had ended up with tinnitus. So I like wore earplugs at every show. <laughs> right. Every, every show we did, every show I went to, I always had earplugs in my pocket. And yeah. so that, like, that head noise of like being used to, like, I'm in a bubble somewhat. Like, I was kind of used yeah. to that already. When I switched to yeah. in-ears and the transition was much, much better. For me, it's like I can mm -hmm. hear everything. I can hear – I feel like we, we became a better band once we started oh. like on in-ears because I could hear like being locked in What's with the other – Yeah, yeah. I could hear being locked yeah. in. I knew for sure I was yeah. locked in because I could hear it. We're all hitting something at the same time. It's like, <laughs> cool. There's, there's no doubt that we are – there's no doubt we're all better sounding bands likely. I, I think for me, the – some of the enjoyment factor has definitely been sucked out, but I know we sound better and it's worth it. And I know we're protecting our ears, but yeah, I don't know. It was just very, it was very eye opening or ear opening to go out and tour without in ears and, and without noise and without tracks and without a band and, and just to like perform and feel the power of that, you know, to feel the songs at their most simplest form, yeah. their most vulnerable and us at our most vulnerable. I felt more powerful in my head, you know, with a six piece band standing in front of 50,000 people. Like it was wild, you know, and it was a good reminder. It's really inspiring because it was the last thing we did before we all shut down for the old pandemic of 2020. And so it's like, I've been really thinking about that as I've been songwriting and thinking about our next record about like what I want to make because I'm thinking about what do I want to tour? Like our whole, our whole last album is pretty much like, um, it's very live band feeling. And on, mm -hmm. that was sort of in, on purpose because we're like, let's, you know, we, let's make something where we can perform every song <laughs> instead of having a weirdo. Yeah. Okay, these these are just too weird. We pop, we can't do them. They're not going to translate. We'd need so much coming off of tracks that it would might yeah. might as well like have have me running around with a mic doing karaoke. 
that's where we want to move towards actually we're like going the opposite direction we're like when can we just have like an ipad that we just put the show on and sarah and i just have to i'm like perfect no 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 team we can just fly everywhere no more bus we're in an exciting time to be a music fan, and I think we're in an exciting time to be musicians because you can, like, no one, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> you really yeah, can. You can. You well, really- and yeah, or, or most people can. I know lots of bands, I mean, over the years, had so many conversations with people who feel like, not trapped necessarily in a negative way, but are like, this is what our audience expects. This is our model. This is our lane. We're staying here. Or they expect us to look this way, act this way, be this way. And actually, I hear that so often from people in alternative rock, indie rock, like more of that. And from men, not women. I think this is one place where women have it maybe a little bit better, or at least this is my impression. But I think there is a expectation that women reinvent themselves again and again and again and that we look good Mm. and we keep up with trends and like we don't get to just be like indie rock guy forever like we literally have to transform ourselves like that is the expectation on women and so in a way it frees us up to absolutely experiment and do whatever we want you know I don't feel like I don't feel like anyone expects us to be the band we were on our biggest record like, yeah, but you set you set yourself up that way because I think like us, you've 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 left musical doors open for yourselves, and yeah. I think I think that like you've you've done a great job of um, challenging that voice when when you identify what your voice is and you feel like you have a um, an idea of who you are musically. Like I think you need to start chipping away at that almost immediately. Like for me, I think I have a pretty good idea of who I am now. That's that is in part getting older. That's in part doing a lot of self work. Uh, but I also, but I also know that part of me is leaving room to be something new. So it's like mm-hmm. I know where I'm at, but part of where I'm at is is like leaving room to 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 end up someplace that's not my idea, that was never my plan, and you know, look at that for the opportunity rather than what I've given up to, 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 to make that transcendence. Yeah. 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 I agree. I think, I mean, certainly there was a point, um, you know, in like, I think like in the late, like kind of 2008, 2009 range where Sarah and I had a pretty interesting conversation. We were sort of finishing up touring this record, the con and, you know, we were, you know, had started to really feel like legit, you know, like, and we were feeling great. And Sarah was like, so now is when we take it all apart because the worst thing we could do right now is make something from a place of security. We need to be uncomfortable yes. in our art. And, yes. And, and we went in and made this record sainthood. And it's interesting because we took a similar mode. We'd been on tour for five years straight at that point. And so we, we wanted to make a record that felt very live and, um, you know, Chris Wallow was producing and he, we would take, we recorded every song like we perform at live off floor, like maybe 40, 50 times. And we wanted to do as little overdubbing as possible. And it was a really great experience because we ended up doing way more overdubbing than we had expected, but we also became better because we, you know, continue, we didn't just go into the studio and piece together a record and then go back out on the road and try to figure out how to play it. We like came right out with that record and we were already just like a better band, which was really cool. And the songs were really challenging. It's a weird record. Like when I go back and listen to it, like there aren't a lot of songs off of it that we play. And yet it's like, it's a record that seems to have resonated deeply with fans, but it's not a record that people call out songs from. It sold fine. Like it had like tons of singles in Canada, but like, but it's, but it's a weird one. It's like an anchor for who Tegan and Sarah is, because I think it was, 
it was the first sign that we were never going to take the easy road. We were never going to say, well, the conjure sold like hotcakes. Let's do that again. It was like, it was a representative of what I think we have become known as, which is a band that just pretty consistently pivots. It's like when something's working, we pivot away from it, which again could be counterintuitive, but it certainly has done what you explained or what you were saying, which was it's kept us alive and, and it's kept us keeping some, some things that we're known for, but also constantly dragging in new sources of inspiration. Yeah. How, how rad would it be to like, it'd be sort of a ballsy thing to do is, is like, you know, like if we made bleed American two, like on oh, purpose, make a yeah. seat, call it that. Like you guys make yeah. the con too. But do you feel like you could? I don't feel like I could ever capture that. I don't even think I could. I don't even know if I'm capable. No, I mean of it doesn't it. matter what kind of songs it is. You just call it that. I and see. see I see, like I see, here's yeah. the sequel to this. But 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 fans, I'm sure you experience <laughs> this in your own life. Like, but I think that we realized around this time that. And we realize this every time we put something new out and we're very outspoken about this and we talk about this with our audience all the time. It's something I feel almost like we coach our audience through. You might think you want the con part two. You don't. <laughs> no, you, don't. you don't. If you already have the con and you don't want me, even as the person who wrote that record, to erode your beautiful relationship and attachment to that record by trying to take it out of your hands to replace it with something else that looks like it, but will never be it. <laughs> Everybody has that phase where they might discover a group or an artist for the first time. It might not, or maybe there's a maybe there's an era of a certain artist or or music or or band that uh, coincides with an important time in, in your own life. Yeah, and like nothing else. It's not no offense. Nothing else will come close to that because that part of their life was so important to them. It was so formidable exactly. or what, whatever happened. It's like. But there's power in understanding that. Like, that's the thing as an artist for me. I know that. And that's why I think we have longevity. That's why we've lasted so long. I think bands and artists who survive this long, who can make it multiple decades and continue to thrive and see their project grow, it's that they came to that understanding. They didn't try to please the person who got the so jealous tattoo on their back by giving them that record again and again. That was 2004. And something something important and significant was happening to that person and they imprinted on that record, whether it was their first record of ours or it was just one that coincided with a death or a loss or a breakup or rejection or self-awareness or whatever it was. And we understand that we can't ever connect with them in that exact way, but it doesn't mean all is lost. It means if we make it, it, it's inspiration to go and make something incredibly different, incredibly fresh and exciting to say something original and unique and deeply moving and get them again, but in a completely different way. They will never feel that thing again. And they'll always compare the two. And that's fine. We all do it too. We all know that there's bands we all love 10 years ago that we now would like, are like whatever about. And I, I just think that's the power. That's the power of knowing it. When I sit down to write a song right now, I never ever consider what anyone is going to think of the song until it's done. You know, while I'm writing it, I'm purely trying to please my audience, which is me. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, there's just a deep faith and belief that when I'm done collecting those songs that so, uh, with a, the help and assistance of Sarah and a few other key people that will pick the right ones. And then we'll assess how to give that to our audience. But when I'm writing it, it's, I'm only trying to impress me. I'm only trying to make my skin tingle, my hair stand up on my arms, my eyes well up. I want to dig in me. Like yeah. I don't, I can't think about anyone else. That what you were saying before about like outside pressure. Like I don't really, 
I the audience of me is a harsh enough critic that I, re- I doesn't have room to worry about what other people think. Like I can, <laughs> totally. I will derail everything. I love I love being the facilitator or the um, you know the 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 hype guy <laughs> instead of like yeah. instead of like I'm responsible. Here's the blank page. What do you got? Oh, like I'm so yes, much. 100%. If there's something, and I, I take that like. I take that when I'm constructing something on my own too. Like it's so much easier to mm. respond to something rather than to um, drive it, because that mm. because like that means like I don't I, I get a little break from being me. That that I'm not I'm not the audience of me when I'm contributing to something. So like the yeah. majority of the majority of my writing is trying to place myself in a in a in a mental kind of state where I don't have to be me. <laughs> And I'll trick myself into that. Yeah. I'll trick myself into that by, you know, any, like all kinds of things, all kinds of ways. I'll try to trick myself into that so that I don't have, so I can evade the, the, the self-judgment police of, yeah. is well, this. Well, there's so much freedom in, like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, there's so much freedom in also doing that within like a whole different genre. Cause like for Sarah and I, we started to experiment in, in electronic music like collaborations in 2006. Our first was with Tiesto. And it was an incredibly freeing experience because first of all, I was just like, well, no one will ever hear this that listens to Tegan and Sarah. Like there's such different worlds. Like, so we can do whatever we want. Like you were just talking about, you're free to just like kind of take off your persona and put on anything you want and say anything you want, say things you would never ever say in your own project. What was so surprising was that I liked writing to electronic music. Like you said, loved being the hype man and not the driver of the music itself. And like to be able to react, like such a great way to put it, like was thrilling. And what was sort of like what made me feel like dumbstruck at that time was I remember Sarah and I having a conversation where I was like, how come you and I don't write together? Now, we started making music together in 1995 and, and it was 2006. And I was like, maybe we should do this. Like maybe you and I should write together because our prod Tegan and Sarah is two separate songwriters coming together only to collaborate at the end. And, and it was just so amazing. And I feel like over the last, you know, bunch of years since then, like over a decade since then, we've done tons of electronic collaboration solely because I feel like it shakes me up. It's like half the time right. it's like, oh, I don't have time. I don't have to do this. Or I don't know if we like, but I just, Every time I write specifically within that genre, I feel like I come out of it learning something completely different about songwriting and and how to... Like, I remember with Tiesto, one of the big comments he kept giving us was, you know, we sing in this very syncopated, very repetitive way, but partly because we don't have, like, huge vocals. And he just kept saying, like, no, in dance music, you need to stretch words out. You need to hold the words out. And we were writing the song, Feel It In My Bones. And, you know, he was... Everything was super athletic, like, you know, very, like I said, syncopated. And he just, his comments back just kept being like, hold the note out, stretch it out. And Matthew Deere was the same. You know, he was like, write longer hooks. Never, ever come up with that. Right. I would never thought of that for myself. It's a totally different world. I was talking to Steve Aoki about, like, uh, the, the, the how, how, how that world approaches, like, um, arrangements is totally different mm-hmm. than what a rock person would. Totally. And it's it's, yes. it's interesting. It's it's fascinating because like you know, mm-hmm. he sent me a song to work on and I loaded it into my computer. <gasps> I loaded it into my computer and I was just like, okay, is this the verse? Okay, this sound, this oh, sounds, yeah, this yeah, sounds like yes, yes. this sounds like a chorus to me. <laughs> but but then this sort of sounds like a chorus to me. Okay, this has got to be the bridge because it kind of gets quieter here. But 
But then it goes back to this part, and that's not what I thought the chorus was. But that's so cool. That's what I mean, though, is it's like, what an interesting, cool experience to go into a completely different genre and have this experience. We we wrote with David Guetta a couple years ago. Like, he had sent us a bunch of tracks, like, just was like, here's a folder. And, you mm. know, uh, we at this point, we'd had enough experience to know, like, you know, that they'd write, like, 5,000 tracks on the mouth <laughs> of a bazillion people. Like, no chance we'll probably even get on it. And everything I was like listening to I just I had no ideas I wasn't feeling super inspired it totally disappointed me because I really was like hoping to feel inspired I mean you know it was like this big moment I knew that it was going to be a huge record and I really wanted us to get a song on the record and then there was this like 45 second piano thing that was in the folder that was like it's super simple but it just had two sections and I threw down this idea and sent it to Sarah on it and she was like, it's really cool. Too bad it'll like, this is like, I don't even understand. Is it even supposed to be in the folder? I mean, it's not even really like dance music. And I was like, I don't know. And so I sent it, heard back from the manager, you know, like within a day or two. And they were like, great, we're going to use this. And it made it on the record. And like, you know, they turned it into a huge thing. Like, like I, I'm blanking right now because I'm on the spot. But like they're another another of those guys got involved and like they built out the big musical moment. But um yeah, it sounds called Every Chance We Get We Run or something like that. But it was just such a funny moment because it's like, I, it was the same thing. Me like kind of listening to these like big electronic like dance songs and being like, oh, it's the chorus. There's so many sounds. It's like, <laughs> oh, we run the And I was just like, and then there's like a little piano piece. And I'm like, that I can do. That I can do. Yeah, the, the drum roll. Yeah. The big, Always. but I, it's funny because I listen almost exclusively to dance music and electronic music. And, you know, I just, I really love that music. And I, it's, I love that you just said the thing about how the arrangements, I mean, that you guys were talking about how arrangements are so different. I, with this new music that we're writing right now, it's like I'm trying to put, like trying to not think in the, you know, A, B, A, B, C kind of format, like not think like, right. oh, we need a, pre- a verse and a pre-chorus and a chorus. And I'm like, no, we're making like this really weird, unstructured, more like, you hear a part once and then never hear it again. And then there's all right. of a sudden, you know, a saxophone and, you know, does it feel like, like, I guess we've, we've had songs where it, it's, it gets away from like your, anything that could be identified as a chorus or verse, but like usually, mm-hmm. usually those types of songs are, are ones where it's just like, okay, the, uh, the idea is it's just a crescendo. The entire thing is a crescendo. Mm-hmm. It's going to get like surviving the song. The first song on our, on our album that came out in October was like, that's it's like it just gets bigger and to the point where it's like the mm. po- like you're it, it hurts <laughs> like yeah. that's the idea of it like it's okay and we've done songs like we've we've just sort of thrown out like it doesn't come back to a chorus it just goes and um you know it's fine do you find my, my question to you is is that like it's so funny like looking back sarah and i are also like very aware of this and we're okay with it but that's our favorite songs or some of our favorite moments or some of the things that we we would choose to play live those aren't the songs that we're we we understand when people buy their ticket that they're coming to see where does where does the good go and 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 closer and like you know they want the hits you know they they also want more than that but like for me the experimenting that we do in our own music like so not with other people and other collaborators like the weirder songs and the stuff where we really stretched ourselves and and you know did things like what you're describing where we built songs in really different ways and didn't repeat sections and didn't follow the model i'm glad we did it and i think it's what makes us credible musicians it's that we that we do pepper in that kind of stuff into our music and we aren't just trying to put out three minute pop songs but 
but nobody's asking for them. And it's this weird like moment where I'm like, these are great exercises in becoming unique and original writers. And again, they pepper, they pepper in well in a record to add depth and, uh, well, leave musical doors open for yourself. Sure. But they're not what the fans want. And that's also, you know, sometimes where I spend a lot of my thought process is how do I get people to care about, you know, a deep cut like paperback mm. head from our record sainthood, you know, because to me it's one of the most unique and interesting things we've written or floor plan of your head and heart, you know, instead of just jumping right to like a back in your head or a closer that is really easy and palatable. And then I'm like, I guess you can do both. Like you said, keep musical doors open. I mean, there's no reason no one's stopping us from doing whatever we want. You know, we can do it, but I just sometimes am like, <laughs> I don't know if you ever feel this way, but sometimes I'm like, I feel like I have, band dysphoria like i i think i'm in a different band than i am and sometimes i'm like uncomfortable with the band that i'm in because i recognize that the majority of people really do love us to, they would be fine with us just standing there with an acoustic guitar telling stories singing our songs harmonizing with each other and, and there's nothing wrong with that and i love that i love that we can do that and we can do it sometimes but that in my imagination and in my wildest fantasies as i'm running every morning I am not in that band. I'm in a band that dances and flips out on stage and sings at top volume and is doing weird things and is electronic and breakdowns and DJs and like I'm pretty much anything but who I am, you know? Yeah. Do you feel that? A little bit. I mean, I think like it, 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 in part, I think you're always going to be, well, you don't know that when you're making the record. Like I thought, I mm-hmm. thought, I thought the middle was like probably the first song to get, get cut on Fleet American. Of course, yeah. You know, I had no... We always pick our best song and... Well, and and part of it is because, like, the effort you put into it. Like, if you spend a lot of time Mm -hmm. solving a puzzle, inherently you're going to think it Mm -hmm. has more worth because you struggled to get over it, whereas maybe the simpler songs that just sort of happened and came out of nowhere, it's like you don't attribute that much value to it because you didn't struggle for it. You didn't push... It wasn't like that thing you pushed yourself to get to. It was just sort of like, yeah, this just happened. Cool. But but here's this other thing. uh, Listen to this part. Oh, you know what we did here? Like... (laughs) It's like, it, and at the end of the day, none of that really matters to the listener. Yeah. I think, um, but you need those, uh, you need those things, man. You got to like, you have to push no, you yourself. you need both. I mean, I, but I think you're, I, I think it's so, it's, sorry to interrupt. I think it's just so interesting what you said. I think you're, I think you're right. The listener doesn't know any of that, but I think they feel it too. You know what I mean? And like, maybe this is going to be my new working theory is that the songs that came together really quickly and and they're great and they're good and they were easy in a way they might also be easier to listen to, you know, because they don't have the the grief and the stress and the anxiousness attached to it. Like, you know, some of the more puzzle songs that we've put together or some of our records that have felt like a sainthood that was much more of a puzzle and had incredible work associated with it. Maybe they pick up on that. Like those just, that isn't the record that they, I think they love it. They enjoy it. It seems like, it, like I said, it did well, but like it doesn't, they're not asking for it. And maybe they understand on some sort of subconscious level how much energy was put into it and, and that it's heavy energy in a way. And maybe that's why they aren't attracted to it. Like maybe some of those easier, simple songs just have great energy attached to them because they were fun and simple and easy and came out and they were clean. And they're just like, a baby, no no fatigue, no stress. I yeah. <laughs> I I don't know. Like I have to think about it because it is funny. Like a lot of the songs that people really love took no time or energy at all. Right. Maybe it's like a pure statement in a way, you know. 
I can't think yeah. of I can't think of any song that has been a single of ours. Mo- I mean, most of the songs that are, that I think are fan favorites and are singles are are the more easy put together songs. Yeah. Um, the things we labored over, people people like, but it's you know, <laughs> yeah. the stream count doesn't lie. <laughs> You know, I know, but it's so it's frustrating. But I don't know. I'm like I'm I'm, gl- I'm grateful to be in a band that understands this, knows this, can talk about it, acknowledge it. Yeah, it's just interesting. It's interesting what you're attracted to. I also just wonder, like, especially Sarah's this way, but like that as artists, they love that song, so we love something else. Like you know, because it feels like it's is that it's a, like, like another they, rebellion kind of thing? Like yeah, yeah, as an act of protest, I refuse to accept that the songs. There's there's a little bit of fear of rejection in that, you know. It's like yeah. I'm gonna control. Like, you don't get to reject me, so I'm gonna control the situation, and I'm gonna dare you. I'm gonna <laughs> on purpose dare you to like this thing I'm about to do. Sure, I think we're definitely. I think certainly we're guilty of that, and I think so much of that stems also in our relationship as siblings, like as sisters. You know, Sarah and I had a long conversation the other day on the internet for everyone to see, and it was very funny the reaction afterwards. We were talking about our new music and the way that we give feedback to each other. And, um, you know, and I was pushing Sarah on the fact that I often feel she doesn't give me, she challenges me. And sometimes I'll send her something I'm very excited about. And she'll just write back, like, you should write for 20 year old pop singers. You're so good at that. And I'm like, does that mean that I, this isn't a good song for us? Like if it's good enough for a 20 year old pop singer, like, and we, so we were having this debate, um, the other day on our Instagram and, it was so interesting because Sarah dove into this whole thing about how, because I give her so, like, I'm always like, oh my God, I love, I love everything Sarah writes. I'm just such a fan. I think she's such a cool writer. She's so weird. Her lyrics are so beautiful. She's just, she's really creates these really lush landscapes that I really enjoy being a part of. And I um, was saying that everything she's writing right now, like we could go in the studio and make a record. I feel so confident about it. It's so interesting what she's doing. And she just kind of got this look on her face, like very skeptical, like very kind of like, okay. And I was like, I just don't understand. Like, why my feedback doesn't mean that much to you. And, you know, she was like, of course it does. We're in a band. We've been in a band for 20 some years. Like, I mean, I'm not waiting around for something better to come along. Like I'm in, but she was like, I just don't trust you. I don't trust me. Like, and that's fine. I'm comfortable in that place of like, not sure if what I'm creating, if I found it yet, if I'm doing the right thing, if it's going to be great. And, you know, also admitted that she didn't necessarily trust other people to tell her that either. And I've thought about it a lot since then, because I'm like, if you don't trust yourself to know what you're creating is great or your partner in crime in your project or your team, you know, what does that leave you with? And I'm like, I guess it all goes back to like, Sarah likes to be uncomfortable. She likes to not know. And I strive for positive. Like, I'm always just like, this is great. I'm like the queen of re- purposing bad news and reformatting it into something useful. Like that's how my skill set, like that's how I've survived 20 years in this business is that I can take the worst moment and in a very, very quick time, turn turn it around into something that can be useful and helpful or reformulate the idea to make it not feel traumatizing. And with music, I'm just like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. We're going to make it even better. It's going to be so cool. I'm really excited. Like, this is so cool. I love this or whatever. And, and, and maybe we're just balancing each other. Like too much of me and that would make us just put out everything. And, and too much of Sarah would mean we would never put out anything. And so we we balance each other in this place where Sarah's pushing and banging her head against everything. And I'm convincing her it's okay. And we just 
what we come out with at the end's good. Like maybe this is good. Like I'm no, frustrated it's, it's totally, by the process. It's totally, but- it's totally good because I think you you definitely need people like that around you. You do have to trust them though. <laughs> That's the thing. Is like I know it's, she doesn't trust me. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I I know that the other guys in the band aren't going to let like something lame slide <laughs> if I'm stoked on it. Yeah. Just like they know, yeah. they know that I'm not going to let something lame slide if they're stoked on it. You know, I don't know. You just you trust and letting yeah. go are huge. Well, we're working on both because the letting go is hard too. Because I feel like we always spend so much time working on records, and they have to be so special. And these days, everyone's just plopping out whatever they wrote a song and they put it up on Spotify. And it's like you know, and we've I want to I don't want to do that one or the other. I want to yeah. kind of be in the middle. I want to. I feel like. Sarah and I have been talking about like we're we want to make a record and we will make a record and we will put it out because we can and we want to and we have things to say and we should and we shouldn't feel like we have to wait a certain period of time but like that's hard for us like we follow the very old school like cycle and yeah I don't know there's it's it's great we're very uncomfortable so I guess it like you know it's it's like <laughs> we're in a good we're gonna make something either really weird or and hopefully great but like either way we'll make something because we're uncomfortable and that's where we do our best work. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you guys come up with. I'll be, I'll be really interested. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me and, and, and chatting. This has been awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been absolutely lovely. Very inspiring too. Thank you for asking. So Tegan and Sarah update their website, their website, TeganandSarah.com fairly regularly. Thank you for hanging out and checking out the show today. God, I'm making I'm making shows now. This is weird. Stay safe, stay productive, stay focused on the opportunities, and I will see you next time. <laughs>